Hello, friends. Hello, Watermark. It's great to be back together after all the summer and all the different things we've done on every unique campus. We're all back together, and we are starting a series called This is the Life. This is truly my favorite book of the Bible we're about to study. I know I always say whatever book I'm studying, I'll tell you this, this is the truth. Whatever book of the Bible I'm studying is the one that I'm most amazed how much I've missed before. But if there is one book of the Bible that has shaped me, we're about to spend a bunch of time in it. Uh, it's my favorite series we've ever done. Um, this, is, this, is, this is true. And, and part of the reason is this is the third volume of it. And uh, we're not going to finish it. There will be a volume four. But we did volume one and volume two a little bit earlier of this series called This is the Life. And you should go back and capture it. It was before we moved onto this property in Dallas. And therefore, there was never any videos, only on audio. But uh, This is the Life, volume one and volume two are out there. And we covered about 12 characteristics that you see plastered on our campus. If you ever walk through in Dallas, stage two, or some of the other campuses around the children's area, you will see something like this. It's a picture of all the attributes of skilled living that are available to our kids. Nope, not that one. The one in the children's ministry building. That one. There you go. Okay. Um, the one right here that just talks about 36 ways that you are alive in the way that you operate if you live a life according to wisdom. Let me explain to you something. Um, we, when we had your kids, from the very beginning when we started, we didn't think that this was the real business right here and that we just kind of kept kids alive so you could come back. We've always believed that ministering to kids is the most important thing we can do. If some of you guys are 40 or converted, we've already wasted 40 years of your life. It's a half conversion. And you might want to get after getting that second half right. But man, you convert a child, you teach a child when they're young about the beauty and the goodness of God, and you got nothing but decades of life indeed ahead of them. And so what we've been doing over there with kids, just so you know, from, um, you know, we keep alive, zero to two pretty much, okay? And then three to five, three to five, we start teaching them what we call the Bible biggies. That's when we introduce to them the stories that... You hear when you're around people who teach God's word, the stories about you know, Noah and the ark, we teach about David and Goliath, we teach about um, Moses splitting the Red Sea, all the Bible biggles, biggies, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We teach these great stories that talk about the fact that we serve a God with a history. He's got a resume, his CV is impressive. When he says he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what he's begging you to do is to go back and look at how it worked out for Abe, Isaac, and Jacob when they locked in on God. He wants you to know that you can know him. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Todd. And I want to share with you what God has done in my life. And I'm going to tell you why God's done this in my life. Since we put that other picture up there, um, I, I, will, I will throw it back up now, okay? This is from about five years ago when we gathered our first or second class of residents. It was the end of the year. And I just said, hey, guys, I, I, want you to, um, I want you to just, you've been with me for a year now. What words would you use to describe my life? Now, listen, when you do that, people are generally kind, right? 
They don't go, you're going to tell them the truth or am I? Right? They usually, in a situation like that, they'll throw out different things. But you look at some of those words, authentic, transparent, decisive, leadership, uh, entrusting, um, sincere, you know, um, disciple maker, intentional, humility, passionate about God's word, you know, shepherd, family oriented, genuinely kind. Okay, take it down. I mean, those were pretty doggone nice words. You saw the word leadership, as I said, right there, big kind of plaster in the front because they looked at me like, man, Todd, look what God's done in and through your life a little bit around here. What I actually did when I was doing that with them, I said, I'm none of those things. You know what I am? I'm just a little shepherd boy, man. I'm just a punk. That left to myself, I'm going to destroy people's lives. I'm not going to be a source of blessing and encouragement to others. You know who I am? I'm just, I'm just somebody that from an early moment in my life, not quite zero to five or not quite, I'll come back to in a second, you know, um, six to 12, but in those next 10 years after that, I got introduced to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it just completely changed the direction of my life. I know exactly why God's doing what he's doing here because God always wants to do what he's doing here. He wants to bless people. He wants there to be um, affection and love and redemption and healing. That's what God does. And he's always just looking for some little shepherd boy that learns to sing songs to him, that trusts him, and he'll use him with a nation of people. And I was saying that to the, to the residents and the fellows um, to just say to them, guys, don't you think that you can't do this? This has nothing to do with Todd Wagner. This has everything to do with who God is. And everything to do with his heart. And all you got to do is run after him and just pray that he would give you a heart like David's. I'm under no illusion why there's good things that are in my life. These things that are beautiful. The life that I have, the reason that some of those words are attributed to me is because God in his kindness has let me believe in who he is. I did a series a couple of years ago called I Am Rich. Or no, actually, the series was called How to Be Rich. And I talked about the wealth that's in my life, the true riches, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord, the Bible says, are riches, honor, and life. And I just, I just know a really good God. And he loves you and wants to know you. Now what we do with your kids after we teach them the Bible biggies, when they get to kindergarten, in K1 and 2, they hear over those 36 months, all 36 wisdom attributes that one day I just sat down and I go, look, if you were going to live a wise life, a skilled life, that's really what the word wisdom means in scripture. It just means skilled. It means um, excellent at what you do. It's used of artists. It's used of um, uh, people who can construct things. It's used of people who can sing well. That word um, wise, it just means you're really good at it. And God wants you to be wise. He wants you to be really, really good at it. What's it? At being a woman or a man. For all of sin, the scripture says, and falls short of the glory of God. And, and what that verse is just saying is the reason none of us are the full measure of men that we should be or women that we should be is because we don't keep our eyes focused on our God. And so we create something less than what God intended to create. And it's not as glorious as God intends. But here's what's so amazing is that God loves us and he runs towards us and he's made a way for us to come back into relationship with him. And as you pursue him, 
receive his healing and his grace, he starts to produce in you a renewed glory. And it will be well with your soul. The book that God shares with us more than any other book in the Bible about what skilled living looks like is a book called Proverbs. It is, it is by far the number one book that has influenced my life. Now listen, I, I, I wouldn't know and love God if it weren't for the truths that were revealed in the New Testament where um, I saw the beauty of who Christ was and what he did for me, and I'm going to get to some of that a little bit today. But let me just start by saying this series is going to talk about how to live the life. This is the life. What? Life with God. K1, kindergarten, first grade, and second grade, 12 months each. You'll hear one month on each of those wisdom attributes if you're in our children's program, and then it just cycles. And so you'll hear it again in third and fourth and fifth grade. And all we're doing with our children is we're showing this is the beauty of the life that God provides. We spend one month on every attribute. We talk about the first week, this is what the attribute is. The second week, this is what happens if you don't live with that attribute. The third week, this is how God will bless you if you do. And the fourth week, we always try and show them that Jesus is the greatest and fullest expression of this kind of life. That's what we do with your kids from kindergarten through fifth grade. They will hear each of the attributes that we're talking about in this This the Life series for a month. And we do a large group, small group kind of a format where, you know, when I was a kid and I would watch Batman, I'm like the good Batman, the Adam West Batman, okay? See, like, you guys will track me. This is the older service here at Dallas that we're talking to. Some of the other kids go, who's Adam West, you know, right? You ask a kid who Batman is, and they're completely confused. Is it Val Kilmer? You know, is it uh, Alec Baldwin? Is it, uh, you know, uh, what's it, Christian Bale? They don't know who Batman is. I know who Batman is. It's Adam stinking West. That's Batman. Okay? And when I would watch um, Batman as a kid, I would love the shows that would just kind of put the Cape Crusader in this crazy situation. And then, you know, that little saw would be spinning. He'd be strapped down, you know, and he's about to get sawn into. And then it stops and it says, do you want to know what's going to happen to Batman? Tune in tomorrow, the same bat time, the same bat channel. And I was like, oh yeah, man, I'll be here, right? I couldn't wait to come back. I just thought, you know what we ought to do with kids? We ought to do the exact same thing. And so our large group, small group format is basically every week, we kind of live them on a cliffhanger. Hey, this is what this attribute is. What difference does it make? Come back next Sunday. And the next week, hey, he didn't live according to this wisdom attribute. Oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? Guess what? When you finally repent and humble yourself and live according to that wisdom attribute, the Cape Crusader lives for another series. And Jesus is the one who is the perfect here on this. Let me show you that picture again of the attributes. And look what's running right through the middle of these. When you walk by them, um, it says, right, in Christ are hidden all the treasures. That's from Colossians chapter 2, verse 3. That's what it's saying. Jesus is the fullness of life indeed. You want to see a skilled life? Look at Jesus. That's why everybody loves him. Hindus love him. Buddhists love him. Atheists love him. They may not think he's who he claimed to be, but everybody loves Jesus because he was the most beautiful man that ever lived because he wasn't just man. He was very God of very God. This series that we're about to do is just to invite you to the life that Jesus wants for you. This is the life. So this week, the attribute that we're going to talk about is righteous. Now, that's an interesting word, okay? And it's a word that, frankly, because we live kind of, uh, well, not kind of, we live in the 21st century, 
We, when we think of righteousness, and especially when we get done studying a book like Sermon on the Mount, we think of righteousness like right enough that God would embrace you and accept you. And you can't think of it that way. The word righteous in Hebrew um, that shows up almost 90 times in the book of Proverbs, 90 times this particular attribute pops up. It is all through the book. It is um, a Hebrew word that really knows nothing of the idea of justification. Now, look, what's, what's that word mean? And I wanted to explain this to you because if I don't explain it to you, you're gonna, you're gonna fall prey to what is called works-based righteousness. And there is no such thing as work-based righteousness with God. You can never live well enough, long enough that you can meet the standard of perfection. And we all know that. And so as I teach today, I want you to realize that I'm not talking about justification or good enough to meet God righteousness. The word righteousness, in fact, this attribute, this skilled living, it's the closest word to wisdom that we have for the whole series. It's why I'm starting this volume of This is the Life by, by pulling this one attribute out. It is the almost supreme attribute of all other attributes when you live right. In fact, the word righteousness in English comes from the old English word right-wise. We get righteous from right-wise. Well, they used to say it. In other words, lots of guys have ideas about how to live well. But what is truly righteous, and even like today, right? It's part of today's vernacular. It's part of today's colloquial saying. It's the way the kids talk. Oh, dude, that's righteous. Right? When you have somebody who just shows up and they've got the right clothes on, you go, dude, man, that's righteous. In other words, that's the way you should dress. That's the way you ought to act. That's the way the game should have gone. That's righteous. Y'all get it? It's the best. And so what I'm going to show you here is that what God's trying to produce in you is that when people would look at your life, they would go, dude, that's righteous. We know that none of us could ever live well enough, long enough that God would say, that's perfect. And we're all sinners. And so there needs to be an imputed, which means placed upon us righteousness that's not of ourself. And the beauty of God, because he is the righteous God, because he is the God of all gods that you can't even imagine there's a God that good that we would go righteous, man, is he has provided for us a means through which we can be reconciled to him. That's the gospel. Are y'all with me? Now let me just read you a couple of things. I'm going to use it both ways at the beginning, and then we're just going to dive in and show it to you in all of its beauty. First of all, I'm going to tell you why we're studying Proverbs. Again, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, this is what it says. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. The wisest guy that ever lived that could have asked for anything. That's who Solomon is. He asked for wisdom. Lord, let me be skilled that I might lead your people. That's a good prayer, Dad. God, let me be skilled that I might lead this woman. Let me be skilled that I might love these children. Let me be skilled that I might be a blessing to my city. Let me be skilled that I might be a single man that doesn't wreak terror. Well, good news. To know wisdom and instruction is the reason he wrote this. To discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice and equity. To give prudence to the naive, this is a book written for idiots, and so that's why I tuned in. To the youth, knowledge and discretion. It's why we teach it to our youth. A wise man 
will love this series. He will hear and increase in learning and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Can I just suggest to you something right now on September? I know what day it is because I read Proverbs 7 today. Um, It's September 7th. Tomorrow will be September 8th when you watch this in Fort Worth and Frisco, Plano. And here's what you need to do. It's what I've been doing for a long time. Actually, um, there was probably over a decade where I kind of stopped doing this. I'm reintroducing it to my life right now. But for decades, for decades, I would wake up and whatever day of the week it was, I would read that particular proverb. And God used that to form some of those words that people who are around me would use for my life. And so what I'm going to ask you to do over this entire series is stick with Join the Journey, stick with whatever Bible reading program you're in or your community group is doing with you. But I'm going to ask you, if you want to see your life change over the course of this fall, while we go through this amazing series, I'm going to ask you today to read Proverbs 7, tomorrow to read Proverbs 8, the next day to read Proverbs 9, and you just watch. Don't just read it. When you read it, grab one verse a day. I've never in my life tried to memorize a proverb, but I have memorized I don't know how many. They bleed out of me. They correct me and reprove me constantly because I just read them. I just read them. I just read them. And especially, I know almost all of, you know, you ask me what Proverbs 28 one is, I'm going to tell you because I read it so many times, right? Sometimes I'm reading through the Proverbs, I can't even finish because I'm just like, man. And I just sit there. But grab one out. I did grab one out of there every day. Write it on your next card. Just put it somewhere. And for the day, make that proverb be the tool that God uses to make your life a little bit more righteous. And just see how it works out for you. It's how I drove my kids to school for 18 years. We'd grab a proverb of the day. I would sometimes get in the car and I would just say, pick a number between one and depending on what proverb of the day it was, one and 30 something, one and 20 something. And I would just go to that one proverb. I'd pull it from that day. We'd talk about it on the way to school. I'd pray it into their heart. And off they'd go. The righteousness I'm going to talk about tonight, the righteousness, this attribute, I want you to know. It's what you want. I mean, I'm going to give it to you here. Proverbs, I mean, Psalm 37. It's the verse I can remember where I was seated as a 20-year-old and I was reading God's word. I was wrestling with what I was going to do with my life. And I, I wanted to chase after Todd Wagner's dream for his life. I was going to make sure I'd come to Christ at this point, And I was, it was going to be a, a good guy. I was going to be on the board of the local Young Life. But I didn't want to work for Young Life because those guys didn't have jack squat. I wanted... I didn't want about once every five years somebody to remember that the Young Life guy's got jack squat and for him to give him, you know, a week at his place in Vail. I wanted to have the place in Vail that I could share a couple of weeks a year with ministry people so I felt good about myself. I mean, it's just me. That was my struggle. I'm not saying everybody owes a place in Vail. That's their deal. But that was, you know, that was my strategy. I knew I couldn't be in Vail all 52 weeks a year because I was also given a place in Florida and a lake house and maybe in Hawaii. And I'd share it with ministry people when I didn't want it. And I remember reading Psalm 37 and God just said, hey, bro, you can do what you want. I mean, I don't care, you know, but I I, I uniquely, what he was doing in my life was just giving me a lot of joy and having a sense that maybe the strategy of what I 
thought I should do was not what was right for me. I have another friend who wanted to go into ministry. I didn't. I was headed to law school. You guys ever heard of Kelly Shackelford? You should. You should know about Liberty Legal. Kelly was around my life not many years after that. Kelly wanted to be a pastor. I was headed to law school, President Pre Law Society, all set and squared away to go. Kelly had graduated from law school. I'm in ministry thinking, I don't know, man. I think I might go finally back. Kelly was like, Todd, I think I want to go into ministry. I said, Kelly, we need constitutional lawyers. You're brilliant. You just clerked for a federal judge. Keep walking with Jesus, man. But I think, you, I think you need to stay where you are. I mean, do what God wants you to do, but please don't think that what I'm doing is more spiritual. We need godly lawyers. I don't know if you know, but praise God for Kelly Shackerford and what Liberty Legal has done the last 20 some odd years, arguing cases before the Supreme Court, doing more to preserve religious liberty in our country than almost anybody, along with my friends at ADF and a few other things. So please don't think that, that being in vocational ministry, I hate that term because vocation means calling and all of us are called to ministry. Please don't think that serving the way I do by your kindness that I get to serve you this way is a more spiritual calling. But I can remember reading Psalm 37, which says this, I have been young and now I'm old. This is the David whose song God had put in my heart. I have been young and now I am old and never have I seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants beg for bread. In fact, Todd, all day long, he is gracious and lends, and his children are a blessing. And I thought to myself, okay, God, I, I don't want to be out there always asking for something. How many of you guys have ever asked for something? Not a single one of you. We don't even have an offering here. Because when people love Jesus, they see Jesus at work, and they figure out a way to support what Jesus is doing. All day long, he is gracious. You won't just have enough for your family, but you'll be able to, to give. I'm going to show you what that might probably lend itself to. Certainly physically, I'm able to do that, but in so many other ways. And not only that, because you're not going to be an idiot and because you're going to be skilled in living and you're going to be a righteous dad and have a righteous family heritage. Your children won't be a scourge on society, but there'll be a downline from you that potentially could be a blessing to others. It's true. I bet my life on it. This book, this book will tell you how to live. Now, let me just tell you what it's not. And I also want to say this as we just kind of get ready and, and do some of this. Um, we have a real scourge of fatherlessness in our country. Not everybody has a godly father. Listen, I had a great dad, a loving dad, a present dad. I did not have a godly father. We never read the Bible together. We never prayed, not one single time. But in the formative years of my life, when I was trying to figure out who I was going to live for, I had a father who was a perfect father and who loved me and shaped me. And this is a fact. As long as there is a Bible, there is no reason for anyone to ever be fatherless. Do you know that? Did you have an abusive daddy? Did you have an imperfect dad, an absent dad? Almost all of us do, but you will never be fatherless as long as there's a Bible. Do you know what else? As long as there is a Jesus, you'll never need a mentor. You'll never need for somebody else to shape your life because in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and you just learn his ways. So you want a mentor? I would tell you, master the master's life. 
as long as there is a Jesus, there's never a need for somebody to need a mentor. Can I tell you something else? As long as there's a Holy Spirit, no one will ever lack the ability to live a life that others go, dude, that is, you're righteous. And so I just, I'm just like, quit your complaining. You're without excuse. I don't care what your daddy was like. You have a loving heavenly father that wants to shape you and mold you and craft you into the fullness of his created intention and beauty. He's given you somebody to follow and he has given you the power to do it. You are without excuse. Quit playing the victim. Pick up your Bible. Follow Jesus. Yield to his spirit. Let me just very quickly do this too because this particular word righteous is, is, is one that um, we have to understand. And I want to say again, I'm not talking about the righteousness unto salvation. I'm not talking about the righteousness of God. I am talking about the, the beauty, the, the, um, the, the, the proper way to act, the how to proceed in right order, the, the conduct which leads to life, but not the conduct which leads to salvation as I teach you today. The righteousness of God has only been met, the righteousness that leads to salvation has only been met by Jesus, who's the one you should follow. Let me just read it to you. I'm using now the word righteous in a different way in this text. This is Romans 3. So I want you to hear me, okay? Because sometimes I hear this crap. Um, it's a theological term for things I can't say, all right? And, and, and what I want you to know, it just bothers me. It makes me crazy when people go, well, water my man, just water my to do church. You know, I just want to rest in who Jesus is. I go, well, bro, rest in who Jesus is. But when you rest in who Jesus is, he says, get up and get with it. Let's go. Study to show yourself approved. Work out your salvation. Christ has done all for us, but when we see he has done all for us, it's time to get doing. We're not to be merely hearers of the word who delude themselves, but be doers of the word. Okay? But it's been done. So watch this. This is Romans 3, 21 through 28. I'm going to read it to you. This is what we're not talking about today. The righteousness which justifies. The righteousness which justifies cannot be accomplished by reading Proverbs or seeking God or yielding to his spirit. It can only be by having the perfect, infinite person of God who has never sinned and never knew sin imputed, which is a big fancy word for laid upon you. This is Paul in Romans 3. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. That's the word manifest. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets told you he was coming. This great deliverer. The one who didn't aspire to skilled living and wisdom. He was wisdom. Even the righteousness of God, which you can have through faith in Jesus alone. For all those who believe. For there is no distinction amongst all of the rest of us, for all of us have sinned. And when God looks at us, he's not going to go, dude, that's righteous. He's going to look at me and Kelly Shackelford and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and you, and he's going to go, that's a sinner that deserves eternal wrath and judgment. And then he's going to look at us and go, but you're wise enough to know that I'm holy and you're not. 
and you've asked for me to be merciful. And because I am the righteous God, the wise and loving God, I've made provision for you and you wisely have appropriated it to your life. Watch. This Jesus justified us as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, one of those crazy big words, which just means appropriate sacrifice in his blood through faith. Why was Jesus an appropriate sacrifice? Because God is an eternally perfect, holy God. And so he deserves one thing, and that is an eternally perfect, holy sacrifice. Well, those are hard to find. And so he became it for you and me. And Jesus, Jesus is the one that, that was publicly displayed this perfect, beautiful, righteous, skilled liver and lover was nailed to a cross because God loves us. Watch what it says. It was to demonstrate his righteousness, his, God's righteousness, because in the forbearance, the long-suffering of God, he had passed over the sins previously committed by generations of humans by having a sacrificial system which anticipated a perfect sacrifice that would come but hadn't come yet. And so God said, if you'll just believe that I'm going to do it, I'll give you grace by faith. But one day the sacrifice is going to come. So how are Old Testament saints saved? By faith that there was a gracious God who was using the blood of bulls and goats as a representative sacrifice of the full and perfect sacrifice that would come. Abraham, Genesis 15, 16, he believed God and it was reckoned to him as eternal, perfect righteousness. Because all true righteousness is in God. Old Testament saints were saved just like you and I were. They looked forward to the provision. We look back at the provision. In Christ are not only hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ is our salvation. So watch. Follow with me. It was to demonstrate why did Jesus go to the cross? It's not because he loves you, dirty little secret. It's because God loves himself. Because God is holy. And even though he cares for you and loves you, he can't redeem you unless he does what he requires. And so because he wants to do something, he had to do what his righteousness required. And so he said, the only way I can get those scallywags that I love is to do what only I can do, which is to be the sacrifice for them that allows them to come back to me. What a God. So God went to the cross. Why? To demonstrate his righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration. I want to tell you again of what righteousness looks like, that God himself must be the sacrifice that appeases God so that he could be both just because he never sacrifices who he is and the justifier of jerks like me and sinners like you. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Are you righteous by law? Never. By works? Never. Except by faith, yes. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law and that alone. It's one of the great cries of the Reformation. By grace alone, through faith alone. It's what we believe here. Because we believe this is true. So let me just say this. 
If you're listening to this series that we do these next 12 weeks and you think anything you're gonna do is gonna be enough and skilled enough that God's gonna be impressed, you need to go back and listen to that last 30 minutes. You need Jesus and him alone. Now, if you meet Jesus and him alone, you might wanna start to follow and go, he's gonna be my mentor and I'm not gonna be fatherless and he, in his grace, is gonna give me the power to start being righteous and more of it every day. Some of you say God is good and don't run to him. And it's crazy. It's crazy. It makes me doubt if you really know him. I was at dinner with my friends, my community on Thursday night before I came up here to meet with my shepherds. And I was, um, I was sitting there and I, I, our dinner came and um, it was just my opportunity just to thank God for that. And so I was praying when I got done, my community guys kind of in use and said, amen. And I heard a different amen about five feet away from me moving forward. Amen, good and loud. And I looked up, it was my way to Corey. I go, whoa, throwing in an amen, I like it, right? And he goes, you bet. I go, Corey, that's great, man. Tell me, tell me why you amen that. He goes, well, because, oh, I was raised a Christian in Oklahoma. I go, that's fantastic. How are you following Christ in Dallas? His exact words, I wrote it down. He goes, oh, I'm not following Christ in Dallas. I'm pursuing my Dallas life now. I said, really? Tell me about your Dallas life. Well, you know, I, I just, um, I, got a, I, got a, I got a plan and I got to get busy. This isn't what I'm going to do long. I got a plan. I said, well, Corey, where do you think that plan is going to land you? And can I just take a moment and tell you before I just charge into this good meal you just brought me that I think you got a bad plan? Would you rather follow a stupid, self-infatuated 20-year-old or an eternally benevolent, perfect father? Because you just told me you're not following your father, you're following a stupid, arrogant 20-year-old called Corey. I said, do you know who God is, bro? I, I don't want to hear that you heard Christian stories growing up. I don't think you knew him or you wouldn't move to Dallas to find your Dallas life. You'd run after him. I dropped a few verses on Corey. I said, Corey, do you know the God that you're going to get back to later says this? You will make known to me, oh God, or God makes known to you, this is uh, Psalm 16, 11, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence, God, that you're going to get to later is fullness of joy, Corey. In his right hand are pleasures forever, Corey. What are you going to get better than that? That's not it, Corey. How about Psalm 84? The God that you're going to get back to is filled with grace and glory. This is Psalm 84, 10. It's better to be in his the, 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 the courthouse of his house than in the middle of all that Dallas can offer you. It says that no good thing, Corey, does he withhold from those who love him. You're going to wait on that, God? I don't think you know him. I think you were raised in a church that called itself Christian, but they didn't tell you who God is or you wouldn't move somewhere else to find some other offering of life. Now, y'all, as disgusted with Corey as I am, well, hold up a mirror for a second and ask yourself who you're following. And what are you doing? You know what I was doing this week? I was reading, I was reading a guy named J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle pastors my soul. It makes me wonder when I read J.C. Ryle if you have a pastor. It's a brother that lived in the 1800s and because he wasn't distracted by his iPhone and wasn't distracted by the start of the college football season or the Cowboys 500 season, which starts tomorrow, because none of these things bothered him. 
okay? Because none of these things bothered him. He just had time alone with the word. And God was his father and Jesus was his mentor and the Holy Spirit was his power. And so he wrote things like this. A holy man will follow after purity of heart. He will dread all filthiness and uncleanness, cleanness of spirit and seek to avoid all things that might draw him into it. He knows his own heart is like tinder. and will diligently keep clear of the sparks of temptation. I was reading that uh, before I met Corey and God just kind of put his arms around me and he said, Todd, you know what? That kinda, that's kind of like you. Are you a holy man? Because sometimes you flirt with things. You're a little too comfortable with the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life. Have you forgotten that your heart is tender and even after all these years, the sparks of temptation can consume you and it won't look very righteous. And so it, it made me, made me pause. J.C. Rowe continues that, who, dare, who shall dare talk of strength when David can fall? There is many a hint to be gleaned from the ceremonial law. Now he's talking about, J.C. Ryle is, um, the way that priests were called to ceremonially clean themselves. And, and he talks about the things that would make a Jew ceremonially unclean. And there's lessons for us in the illustrations that God was trying to teach. And he said, under it, in the ceremonial law, a man who only touched a bone or a dead body or a grave or a diseased person became at once unclean in the sight of God. And what he's saying is, if you were a Jew that wanted to do the work of God, you had to really walk a narrow path because if you even came up with something that was even a deviation, God said, you're out of temple service for me for a while. And so God just wrapped his little loving spirit around me and he just said to me, he goes, hey, Todd, let's up our game and your passion for all that is good. And I bumped into Corey. He might've been a little further away from the glory and goodness of God than I was, but I recognize what Corey was after in me. And it's why I'm that more righteous. It's why you don't have the same kind of pastor that J.C. Ryle's church did. It's why more people, when they describe Watermark, don't go, that, that's a, I've never seen more beautiful people. Because we got a little bit of a Dallas thing working, or Fort Worth thing working our Frisco or Plano thing working and God would love to see us up our Jesus game here. Not so we can be saved, but because we know the beauty of the God who saves. Amen. Amen. Corey. Amen. He said, amen louder than you did, but let's be about it. Let's be about it. Martin Lloyd-Jones, another guy who was, um, who sat at the feet of J.C. Ryle, actually. He wrote the foreword to this book that I was reading. He was a pastor in the first part of the 19th century. Um, he said this one time, if you should ask me to state in one phrase what I regard as the greatest deficit in most Christian lives, I would say that it's our failure to know God as Father as we should know him. See, because if you know God as Father as we should know him, you're just gonna wanna go, Dad, show me your ways. Teach me more of your ways. And I would just tell you, this is where you're going to learn your daddy's ways. This is where your daddy's going to pay for your imperfection. 
But when you see that God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, it should make you go, well, what else has he got for me? And the answer is everything pertaining to life and godliness. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Go get you some of that. And I'm trying to, and we're trying to teach it to kids. And we're going to study it together in the weeks to come. We're doing two weeks on righteousness, not just one. I'm going to walk you through what the righteous life looks like uh, the next time we gather together. But we're setting up this whole series by, by just um, making it really clear that what's going on here and right here is an invitation to be everything that God wants us to be. I just wanted to say to you this. If you know the love of God and the righteous God that we say we know, then you should want more of him. And if you don't want more of God, I doubt that you really know him at all. Corey, I doubt you know him at all because if you meet God, you're not looking for Dallas to fill your hole. And you're not a slave to porn, to career, or anything else. Now, you're gonna struggle with it, I do. Every man of God continues to struggle. It's a lie from the pit of hell if you love God that sin doesn't still look alluring to you. It's our flesh. Our flesh is still here. But if we know God and his truth informs us, then our appetite should change in this way. The old one is not completely dead, but he is no longer sovereign. The old is gone in the sense that there's a more powerful truth present. Something new has come. And it's that you see the righteousness of God. Drink deeply with me, my friends. Proverbs 7 today, Proverbs 8 tomorrow, or Proverbs 8 today, if you're a Sunday listening, and Proverbs 9 tomorrow. Father, will you teach us? Will you bless us by allowing us to want and know more of you? I thank you, Lord, that you have been faithful to every Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that has ever come to you. Anytime somebody seeks the Lord, you answer them. And what you produce in them is a work of wonder and glory that all of us can see and that you say will be a means through which the world will know that you are who you said you were. So Father, thank you that you save us, not according to deeds which we do in righteousness, but thank you that when we see who you are, our lives can become more righteous indeed. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.